Welcome to episode 45 of The Modern Recordist, the podcast where we talk all about designing and living your life as an extraordinary artistic visionary, discussing inspiring and creative ideas around making music and art that creates an impact in the world. On this podcast, we sit down with musicians, songwriters, artists, producers, and all manner of artistic visionaries to learn exactly what we have to do and who we have to be to create meaning and live out our artistic visions. I'm your host, John Stinson, a Nashville-based producer, recording engineer, and mixing engineer, a collector of experiences, a lifelong learner, a lifelong teacher, and an artistic visionary in my own right. And I welcome you to episode 45 of The Modern Recordist. This week, our guest is someone who has become a fast and great friend of mine over the course of the last pretty much year. Early last year, I began an incredible personal journey of self-improvement by attending a series of workshops out of Columbus, Ohio. And at the time, I had never been to Columbus, and I didn't really know anything about the city, and I didn't know anyone there. But uh, my guest today is someone who I met through this workshop and someone who uh, I have become great friends with throughout that journey as we have continued to grow together and uh, connect on art and creativity and how to create meaning and impact not only of our, in our own lives, but in the lives of all those around us. Uh, he's a very talented and in-touch individual who has talents and wisdom beyond his years, and although he is not someone who works in the music business, he does have a deep love and talent for creating and playing music, and beyond this, uh, his understanding and clarity around creativity and innovation is inspiring, thought-provoking, and ultimately effective. So, just like we start off every episode that features an in-studio guest, please welcome to The Modern Recordist playing us into the show with his song, Surrender to Love, my friend, Daniel Fox. Okay. When the last snowflake falls and the salt trucks are sleeping, I know that my will is the weakest it's been. But I've April and May and some summer to stay and build up my fight to leave. Now I know how you feel. And that leaving for real is a task for the foolish and young But I never claimed by any other name And what's more to my own heart be true And if in the meantime love would see fit To find me a partner in crime I would wrestle my days on the means and the ways And surrender to my longing for Because ultimately, I'm a romantic, I suppose. Daniel Fox. <laughs> ultimately, ultimately a romantic, I, I suppose. Ultimately, maybe. <clears throat> um, you might want to position that mic a little bit. Straight on. Yeah. Wonderful. Sorry, I kind of just haphazardly put it there. Um, awesome, dude. Welcome to the show, and uh, welcome back to Nashville. Um, it's great to be hanging with you, man. Okay, so the obligatory 
I'm really glad to be on your show. Like I'm a, I'm a total outsider, right? The, your show is for recording professionals. And so for some, for someone to sit through this episode, they're going to see, they're, they're going to hear that I'm like an outsider. I've got to give them something really good, right? I, I got to like I'm prove sure my will, worth. Man. No, it's going to be great. No, this is, this is awesome because, um, dude, this show is all about, uh, you know, it's, it's just all about hanging out and just really talking about creativity and talking about, it's not really, I, I, I'm really, um, I'm really excited about where this show will take us and what, like, I know that you'll bring to the show. I know that you'll bring to the show because of all our wonderful conversations that we've had. Um, so many, so many times just off mic, you know, and, and even like off mic before, uh, this, like this morning, you know, and, um, just all the great, you know, it's just, you have a real, um, you, you have a real sort of command or, or, or just awareness of like, creativity and but like musical creativity and just uh, an awareness of just you know interpersonal relationships and things and and i mean that's ultimately like you know, when you listen to a song you know it's about these kinds of like experiences that you've had and uh, that people have had and and the reason that songs resonate with people is because you know it's it's like ooh i that takes me back to this experience that i've had or i've experienced that exact thing and you know i mean you don't have to be somebody who wrote you know oh i've got such and such song on the charts to be somebody who can bring value to that to discussion like that. And so it's, it's great, man, to just get to hang out and really not have like some kind of like super, um, uh, specific agenda for this particular episode, just cause I know that, you know, the discussions that, that we're going to have here are going to be so valuable just, and, and so in context yeah. of everything, you know? And so to, I'm going to I'm going to go into the uncomfortable slightly territory to give your listeners some idea of what I do enjoy cool. and play in. Awesome. Just so they're not like okay, who I mean what this like they, this unqualified guy is not. But so so I'm a I'm an okay piano player. I like to I like to play. I mean it's more of a joy than anything. Like I I love the theory behind the piano. I love that it's visual in in the sense that you can um I started on guitar. I started playing mm-hmm. guitar when I was in fifth, mm-hmm. fourth or fifth grade. And uh, so I got really good at guitar. I played jazz guitar through high school. Um, I did. I, I played upright bass and clarinet and got in a little electric piano. But uh, And then I marched bottom bass drum in uh, in a high school band and was uh, I played African hand drums. Cool. Uh, so I cut my teeth. Oh, and then I really loved the vibraphone. So... Killer. Uh, so I got into I, I was I was very interested in playing everything passably, right? Um, like I, I was and I was never really good at anything. But uh, if you if you gave me something that could make noise or make music, I would think of a way to add, you know, or kind of add like a weird nuance to sure. whatever was going on. Yeah, that's cool, man. Um, I got a I got a business. I started a business in 2006. It's uh, it's called Screen. It's an online T-shirt and uh, and home goods apparel marketplace. So that's an interesting realm where creativity plays out uh, in in designing the structures of a business and designing mm-hmm. the culture and processes of a business. Yeah, it's there's a whole realm to be said for how creativity looks in a not creative context. Right. Necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I, I really enjoy kind of, um, I really enjoy reading about and kind of getting my mind sort of in those kinds of places and people who kind of like have, uh, there are th- sort of thought leaders in that, in that realm of things where it's kind of like this creative economy that that's brought into how, like, how can we take that kind of thought structure and put it into a business in order to make that business more effective and more productive. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, probably my most qualified creative pursuit is graphic design. I'm a, I, I went to school for that. So cool. Um, so typography, I've done uh, type design. I love fonts. I get distracted by fonts on the road almost as much as cars and uh, a far second from ladies, if I have to <laughs> say I do. I do get distracted by uh, other humans. Right. Um, so, but it brings up like, oh, painting. I like watercolor. Cool. Uh, I like to cook. Cooking is totally a creative act. But But there's something about my life that is like, a little unafraid to to just jump into these things and yeah. and not be good at them necessarily. Sure. Yeah, that's that's great because actually um it's it, that's kind of when I first launched this podcast early on that's kind of one of the topics I dove into and I was really um you know I I've disclosed this on the podcast before just like you know the idea that um a lot of the time um some of the like the the alternate episodes that I do um where I don't have a guest are a lot of times are just like it's about an experience that I've had and it's a process that I'm learning and it's sort of like my process for kind of like learning the thing. And so one of those, when I first launched the podcast, it was about, it was like, um, permission to, to, to just do it and not like necessarily be good at it and just sort of like learn by doing and learn in public and just, you know, just get past that fear. And and so that's great, man. Like that's, that's part of the spirit of the show, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, it, it begs the question. If I had to codify the question is what is a creative act? I mean that's where I that's where I go with it. By the way, I forgot I have a podcast too. It's like a little bit on hiatus, but I right. started it shortly after yours. I think I was, you were the first guest on my yeah, podcast right, right we, here in this studio, right? Okay, here. Yeah. yeah. So so Innovator Code. I think they're about ten or twelve episodes up, something like that. Yeah. Um, and and I I paused it for a bit, but you were the first person that I interviewed about what it meant to be an innovator in your in your field, like what it meant to um, push out and 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 be raw with your podcast mm-hmm. and not like you just said, like not know necessarily what you're doing. But then we talked a little bit about recording music and how, and how you would push people and push processes and right. instruments to get yeah. a sound that you could use that was innovative. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it just kind of like create sort of that innovative spirit in the, in sort of the room and just generally so that the, the room and the group mind of the room is kind of steeped in that sort of, you know, innovation you know, and, and thought process of whether it be like whatever, whatever it needs to be to just to, to move the needle forward. You know, if that's like taking risks sometimes, or, you know, it could be, a, there's a million different, you know, scenarios or ways that you could kind of probably skin that. But yeah, that's, that's totally it, man. So to bring it back to a concrete thing, that first song that we just came off of, mm-hmm. um, there's an affinity that I've had in writing songs just for myself for this hymn kind of structure. Mm-hmm. And and that was one of the songs that kind of ex- exemplified uh, writing something in a very, like, well-paced kind of, like, march. I don't know if it's a march, technically, but it's just, you know. Yeah, yeah. There was not there was not really any innovation to speak of as far as the musical structure went with that. There was a the concept and a story that I was trying to get across. Mm-hmm. By the way, it's uh, it's from my project. I did 30 days of, of songwriting. Um, so a, a, technically a song a day, but someday I would roll on three or four songs and some days I wouldn't yeah, get yeah. anything done. But I committed uh, midway through January to do 30 days of songwriting. Cool. 30, so a song a day for 30 days. Yeah. 
and uh, called it called the project Last Winter because the idea was that this is the last winter that I wanted to be in Columbus. Okay, because it's it can be dreadful for somebody that's like affected by the weather. Right, you know, it's cold yeah. and dark and yeah. wet, and it's not always the the best place to be um, in the winter. Yeah. So so the project was called Last Winter, and that song kind of encapsulated it, which was like I've got a couple months to get out of here, and yet I still am interested in relating with people and interested in, in finding love and falling in love. Mm-hmm. And if, and if I met somebody that um, we had that kind of connection and future, uh, I'd give it up. You know, I would wrestle, I would wrestle for days on the means and the ways and then surrender. And then I, you know, ultimately like it, it's, it's a disclosing about my priorities. Yeah. But through a vehicle that's very not innovative, like the vehicle right. is like this. Yeah. Right. Um, so that, that's interesting to me to play with things that structure, creative structures that aren't creative. Yeah. Right. It's sort of a, it's sort of a, a, a template or a formula of, of sorts, you know, and then, and it's like the idea that, um, there's been studies done where a lot of times having constraint pretty much every time they've figured this out now that, you know, when you have constraints, that's when you become the most creative. And when you take away all constraints and everything is just anything is possible, you become less creative. Interesting. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Because you've got a you've got a room next door in, in the studio here, part of the studio. We could just you know, take power tools and start drilling holes in things and we're talking about prepared pianos. We yeah. could we could destroy a number of things to make sounds that that are rarefied. Yeah. Right. And it would probably produce something that was unpleasant, but it but untemplated at the same mm-hmm, time. Like mm-hmm. we would get a result, and you and and it would just be maybe unlistenable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it would be very creative, right? right? Experimental noise, whatever it is. And I see that kind of as at the at the other end of the spectrum from from that first song. Sure, where it's like let's take this old kind of formatted templated thing and then just tell a quick story with it. Yeah, that's and, cool. And and I don't know, like I I think that there's room for both. Like some days I want to sit down at the piano and I want to just do like I just want to tell a little quip, mm-hmm. and so that format is great for that. And then some days I want to take the I want to you know take my screwdriver and un- undo all the electronics for every guitar I have yeah. and, and every amp I have and just make it make weird noise. Yeah, right. Um, and nobody would validate that. Like the end product, probably you know, very few people would validate it as listenable or, or enjoyable. But it's just it doesn't need to be validated by anybody to be a creative act. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then one can, you know, you can start to get into the the whole philosophy of just like, um, you know, it being so subjective. You know, because what comes to mind for me is like when you're talking about making weird noises and taking guitars apart. Thurston Moore comes to mind from Sonic Youth. And uh, Kevin Shields from uh, My Bloody Valentine, two bands that I like a lot. But, but so you can l- listen listen to both of those like albums from either one of those bands, and it's going to be one of those things that's very polarizing. Where there's going to you're going to you're going to uh, actually probably most people that you surveyed would go, "This is unlistenable. What is this? Is terrible." But those both those bands have big followings they have they have super fans they have you know like i love it i love that stuff i love what they do i mean thurston moore what he frankenstein's all all his guitars i've seen pictures of like his studio space where 
he's got like 50 guitars that he like took apart and like modified in all these weird ways, you know? And then Kevin Shields is all about like, how can we like make the weirdest sounds, you know, whether it's like turning up all the knobs on a distortion pedal or playing, always playing with the pitch bend bar on a guitar or like all this, you know, and, and it does polarize, but I think that a lot of what happens when you get something like that is that you, you, it's called, it's just like targeted marketing, right? It's like, it's like, um, this isn't for everybody, but the people that it is for, it's really for those people. They love it. Yeah. Yeah. They eat it up. Yeah. So, so this is interesting because, you know, we would, we could come down here and record us drilling holes in things, or we could just do it and then figure out what worked and then later like develop it. So it's almost a matter of, are you doing your experimentation in public or private? Mm -hmm. And, and is the experimentation the art itself? I, by the way, I hate this question. What is art? Yeah, <laughs> it just goes on forever, and there's. Yeah, I never have a satisfactory answer that yeah. I feel good about. But I feel like there's a joke that I that somewhere in the back of my mind that I'm trying to pull out that there's some been some really good jokes and punchlines about like what is art, you know. But I digress. I'm not yeah. able to figure it out. But you know, so for me, like I, I wouldn't subject anybody I know to to listening to me destroy amplifiers. It, yeah, it's just not. It's, it doesn't have value to them. And if I want to add value to their life, like it's probably I'm not going to share them. Yeah, <laughs> share that with them. Yeah. But uh, but there's something to be said for me doing that in private and kind of experimenting and playing and failing because right. it's it's there is no success or failure because there's no territory that I really mm-hmm. know of. Like. Okay, I smashed the tube in a in a bass amp. Like, what happens? Mm-hmm. There's no success or failure in destroying an amp. It just mm-hmm. it is whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But if I can find something for that that would serve the goal of a of an actual project, it would serve mm-hmm. a game that I'm playing outside of that experimentation. Then then it's valuable. It's time spent. You know, well. Right. Totally. It's, 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 you know, it's practice, it's woodshedding, it's prototyping, it's, it's, um, iterating, you know what I mean? And at a certain point, I think, I think it does kind of become useful as like a, as sort of your own motivational psychological tool to some, to at a certain point raise the stakes so that, because I think that a lot of times that's how we actually, do take something that's like, well, what is this? And we're just kind of pulling things apart. And it just is like, there's no real sort of anything to it. There's no real concrete intention or whatever, other than just, we're trying to see what happens, but to, but to take that and ultimately make it like, well, where could we go with this to maybe create some kind of meaning somehow, some way. Um, I think that part of that process, like when you raise the stakes to create something that's just like now, now there's like, now there's kind of some something is on the line and it and it as us as like our psychology and human beings it it sparks that kind of um drive to really make something out of it you know what i mean so it's like at some point it's like kind of transitioning it's somewhere like if you just go in your laboratory and you're just doing these experiments in your laboratory with like no real ever consequence attached to it it never it just is like you're it's just blah like nothing's really necessarily ever going to come from that but if you want to kind of take it somewhere i think it almost maybe i don't know this is just my sort of um thinking out loud here but i kind of feel like attaching some weight to that to where now it's like ooh, there's a deadline or there's there's something that like you know 
it it need it, it's a there's going to be some kind of external factor that's going to push me to to like out of necessity I need to make something out of this now you know there's a there's a risk there's like you, you could fail you know or something like yeah. that yeah you know one thing that I know that we're both interested in is uh, is confidence mm-hmm. is uh, either either kind of being confident in yourself or the effect your own confidence has on other people mm-hmm. right and and there's something about putting garbage out confidently that is beautiful mm-hmm. it's this um so so uh i've got like mild synesthesia right uh-huh. so my so sometimes uh numbers have colors and sometimes tones have yeah tones have colors and they killer. all they all relate in this it's it's weak it's not like a really strong synesthesia sure. like some people have where they can taste the rainbow so right to speak. yeah 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 but uh you know, at work, I a couple of weeks ago, I put an email marketing campaign out, and I did everything wrong. I did the most disgusting graphic that I've done in years. But, but you're doing this intentionally, right? Absolutely. Like, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so it was a uh, <clears throat> what's what the St. Patrick's Day T-shirt sale, right? Okay. And so we called it like a pot of pot of gold sale, uh-huh. and then I I just clicked on some 3D effects in Photoshop and got this like ugly extruded jagged edge type with uh with rainbow gradients in it and uh and then found some pixelated leprechauns and uh-huh. just threw those on there with a drop shadow and and like tore them apart and, yeah yeah and then moused over it i was just like drawing letters with a mouse on this clip art hand with a thumbs up and okay just the whole thing was as it was an explosion of experimentation yeah yeah and there's something about doing that and and putting that out into the world that like me as the owner of the company I can get away with it. you know if somebody mm-hmm. had come to me and said we're going to put this out as our email I would have said well you know that's an interesting idea yeah. <laughs> but because yeah. yeah I was both the creator and the gatekeeper there yeah I was able to put it out and and it was interesting to see how that landed with people being so deliberately bad okay Right. Okay. So, like, they got the joke. In other, in other words, the people when you put yes. it out and everybody, they they get it. Like, this is clearly done on purpose. Right. Yeah. yeah. Which is, you know, I'm and I'm grateful that they got the joke because you know this is this is a hard place to be sometimes. Sometimes you don't think take, you don't take things too far. You don't take things far enough. Uh huh. And people won't get the joke, so yeah. it just looks bad. Yeah. Um. Or it sounds bad in, in the yeah. case of recording. Yeah. Um. But this is an interesting thing about fashion too that I've noticed is that there is a there's something in the in the cyclical nature of fashion that is about finding that sweet spot of what's offensive enough mm-hmm. that what the joke that that your group will get. Mm-hmm. So mom jeans when mom jeans came back in, yes, the joke was gotten by by the group that it was, you know, like that it was intended to get. Yeah. The you know, the first person the first sixty year old that saw mom jeans on a on an eighteen year old, they were like, what in the world is that about? Yeah. But that that other that group, they were like, oh, she's cool. Yeah. Oh man. Right. And and it, so it becomes a trendsetter. It becomes this powerful statement of someone so confidently doing something outside of what's acceptable and that it that it creates a movement. Right. Yeah, like when mustaches came back and all the dudes, like people were, you know, guys were sporting mustaches again. And, you know, and then like, you know, there's been like this resurgence of like 70s and 80s 
and, and early and then like more recently early 90s like i feel like the mom jeans thing was like an early 90s thing if i don't if i'm remembering it right uh like when it was actually the first time it was around you know i can remember it being um like early 90s and it was like high rise jeans and but like if you were in jeans like that then you were somebody i mean cuz it's like mom jeans you were somebody's mom that was like moms right. wore that you know it was functional it, it, yeah. it, it you know it like hid it hid the uh wonderful scars of, of pregnancy and childbirth mm-hmm. <laughs> you know right it, yeah it hid a it hit a post post pregnancy post uh, birth body yeah yeah but like then the kids it's funny it's like the kids who i guess they would they might be like the grandkids of those people started wearing mom jeans again you know what i mean like it would be, it would be, I don't know if it's quite the grandkids, but you know, it's something like, it's, it's like maybe another, like one or it's, it's more than one generation removed because one generation removed would be like my mom. That's the jeans that my mom wore. And so then when I see like 18 year olds, you know, college age girls wearing mom jeans and stuff, I, you know, I'm like, what, you know? And then, and then the, the really short, Sort of um, athletic shorts uh, and the mustaches for the dudes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I have some gold lame, like really short gold lame track shorts that I <laughs> that I take to the. Uh, well, it's actually a bathing suit. Nice. And uh, you know, I was in I was in Costa Rica for uh, about a week and met a guy down there. Uh, and I and he invited me out to the pool, him and his wife, and we were we were hanging out. And uh, it's like I'll be down in just a minute. He texted, I'll be down in a minute with my uh, gold lame bathing suit nice show up and he's got the exact same gold lame really yeah and i was like this, this is embarrassing it's awesome <laughs> so i mean something that was like so outside what's normally acceptable for yeah. for men's swimwear yeah. and then we both we both end up yeah, in the same that's thing. hilarious so, so we're friends for friends for life that's awesome man but i like the point that you're making about fashion because it is a good observation about how people you know like kind of like taking things too far and it's like this undertone of like in a way, um, kind of like how – I think the word is offend, but like, you know, it's not really like – the word is it's, – it's not really offend. It's offend in terms of like just like like you can't ignore it. Or it's like, oh, what's going on there, right? It's not like literally like I'm offended by what you're wearing or something, but it's definitely – yeah, it's interesting, you know? And, I, and, and it's interesting to think about that in terms of just um, – you know, with the with the with the fashion that's come into style lately, um, especially around you know, kind of like the rock and roller crowd and stuff, um, the the folks that were um, like born in the late '90s or maybe like you know, 2000, 2005. I don't know. That might be a little young, but but what I see those those kind of younger people wearing now, you know, and and going like. It's funny because it's like, man, that's the kind of thing that kids were wearing back when I was like in, say, middle school, right? The kids that wore stuff like that were the kids that were not the cool kids. They were the kids that kind of they they didn't really have a sense of style or maybe they kind of didn't have really like their family didn't have money to buy like, you know, the nice clothes. So they did the thrift shop thing and kind of piecemealed together just kind of like, you know, ended up being like just an amalgamation of just like kind of ugly stuff and it wasn't really an outfit. Yeah. And now I see the cool kids. It's like innovative and cool to to kind of like dress that way. You know, it's an interesting thing. Are you talking about normcore? 
maybe that I don't know, man. Like you might know more about it than I do. I, well, I, I, I don't, don't know if there's a term. I don't know if any term about it. But. Normcore is a thing. I'm not sure if it's exactly what you're talking, about, but it, but it's kind of the the act of uh, of aggressively kind of going for that normal. I I don't know. I see. I'm gonna I'm gonna sound like an idiot because because normcore is this. It, people think it's one thing, but it's actually his other nuanced okay. thing. Okay. But we'll look, we'll look it up later. I I do have. I do have a great example from graphic design about doing things wrong and not going far enough. Okay. So uh, if you are if you're designing a flyer, let's say, and you've got some type on the flyer, mm-hmm. um, there there are great times that call for you know rotating your types. It's at like a forty five degree angle or 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 kind of making it crazy. Mm-hmm. But if you just type something out and and left justify it and uh, rotate it two degrees. Mm-hmm. It's not enough, right? If you can imagine two degrees uh, of of a typeset, it's just it, it, people are going to look at it and they're going to say, "Is it is that messed up?" Right? They're going to think it's messed up. Yeah. If you do it eight nine degrees, like it'll start to look like a deliberate choice. Yeah. And so this is this is one of the one of the great lessons that I learned in design school is that if you're going to break the rules break them deliberately right and break them enough so that other people get that you're yeah. breaking them and you're not yeah. just an idiot yeah right <laughs> yeah right because i mean i'm sure it's the same in recording like you could you can break the rules of, of good recording and good engineering mm-hmm. but if you don't break them in a way that other people know that you're breaking them you just look like a yeah right totally i mean that's where actually that's i'm glad you kind of went there because i think about that um from time to time because sort of my aesthetic for um, a lot of times when it comes to uh, like even with this podcast I, I don't like to make things be super slick like I don't like to go like in, in my approach to making a record and and you know just general production work and being involved in a record um, I don't I don't really like to make it be as slick as it could possibly ever be I don't want to make like the slickest record in the world. Um, I like things that are rough around the edges. I like things that, you know, I think it's cool when like tracks bleed on, on other tracks and stuff like that. You know, I, I use that. I like that aesthetic and I like to think of things holistically in that way. And I like to, um, utilize it, go like, okay, you know, we're playing, um, you know, in this studio that we're in now, there's a lot more isolation, but I used to, I used to work in another studio. It was just one giant room. And so everybody like the recording equipment and, and, you know, all the entire tracking space was just all one giant room. And so we would set up the guitars in one end of the room, the drums in the other end of the room. But, you know, the guitars would, you would, there would be an amount of bleed. Yeah. Like you listen to the drum tracks and there's some guitar on there. And I'd be like, great. I mean, we're just going to use that to our advantage. We're going to use that to our advantage knowing that that's going to happen. And we're just going to make decisions in such a way that we use that to our advantage. And at the end of the day, it's going to sound great. When all the tracks are put in and mixed a certain way and mixed right, it's going to sound great. And it's not going to be the most slick thing in the world, but it's also not going to be – you're going to be able to tell. It's going to be this great uh, sort of – I guess authentic statement of what of what kind of like the music that we're making here, and it's not going to be it's not going to sound wrong. People are going to get the joke, you know, and and yeah. yeah, that's I think about that a lot. I think about because because I'm inspired by other music creators that do the same thing, you know, and I think about that. I think about these guys that a lot of times will get labeled the the lo-fi guys or whatever, but when you listen to it, it the the adjective that's used to describe sort of that style of making records is lo-fi, but 
it's actually not by any means lo-fi at all. You're still using extremely high quality microphones and gear and, and machines and whatever to capture this music, you know, so it's actually not lo-fi. And I'm just, I, I think about that. I think about what is the difference? What is this stuff really that makes it like have that artistically kind of lo-fi um, less polished sound, but yet you still know that it's it's like, but it's still polished, you know, and it's this weird kind of place. It's a lot of times hard to put your finger on. It's not like listening to, um, I would, I would, uh, I would say like somebody like Michael Jackson and Michael Jackson records, very slick and polished, you know, or I always think of Steely Dan. Yeah. As, Steely as like Dan. The slickest, yeah, most, super slick. Yeah. yeah. Right. You know, and then people that maybe could be a little bit more rough around the edges, people like Jack White. But you when you listen to the record and you might you might use adjectives like trashy, lo-fi, um, unpolished and all that. But but when you listen to it, it's like but you can tell it's still a professionally made record that sounds has a certain slickness to it, but in its sort of like lo-fi way you know and it's a, it's an interesting Absolutely. thing to think about and and the thing is trashy is a legitimate human emotion that needs communicated yeah especially through music yeah like uh, th- so so the idea that uh you know if paul if paul simon wants to take a microphone to africa and record you know just whatever's happening in the air or the tribes and the chants and, and things i mean i know he he kind of did his whole trip there and brought brought mm-hmm. back a lot of stuff and, and fused it into his songwriting. But um, you know, field recordings mm-hmm. are they are what they are. Mm-hmm. And you use good equipment to capture um, whatever is happening. Mm-hmm. The the human experience. Mm-hmm. And so if the human experience is trashy in a in a bad room with bleeding guitars over your snare mic then that's part of yeah, the experience. Exactly. And and you get to as the artist as uh, you know decide <clears throat> what kind of result you want. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're trying to make a slick record and it ends up sounding trashy, well, maybe you didn't hit your your mark. Yeah. Um but trashy and lo-fi is a beautiful part of human experience. Yeah. There's no reason you shouldn't right try to communicate that if that's sure. what your intention sure. is. Sure. Sure. Yeah, and it, they take it a little bit further. It's interesting that sometimes I think about like I listen to these these records that are sort of more lo-fi, and then of course you know in my line of work, there's a lot of people who will, hey man, you know they want you know they hit me up about make, making a record or something, and then they shoot me over some demos and stuff to listen to, and um, um, which is great. I you know the demos when when somebody's like recording a demo to send to me, just like capturing their music. I don't think you should be, you know, it shouldn't be thinking about making a great recording. You should just be ma- thinking about like the creative process of your music. But, but you know, I do think about those those types of things, and people send me things that are just maybe they're recorded on their iPhone, or they're maybe they even people who like they're trying to learn how to record, and they were they they send me some stuff to ask me like, what do you think about this? I'm learning how to do this, and they want some feedback, and you know, it's it's it it you can tell that they're learning, right? I mean, yeah. there's no, it, it doesn't sound great and it's not their fault. It's because they're just building their skill up, right? There's no, you don't fault them for that. But, but, you, but I think about that. I think about, okay, what's the difference between somebody like, you know, um, uh, uh, Vance Powell, who, who works with Jack White to make these records that are like described as like lo-fi 
and then this this other this this person who's kind of learning how to do it and they're a student and the records that they're making that are also lo-fi you know but 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 when you listen to them like say you a beat them you'd be able to like this this jack white record that's described as lo-fi and like rough around the edges and trashy sounds great but this one over here that's lo-fi and rough around the edges and trashy sounds terrible and mm. it's just an interesting like i i think about that sometimes trying to put my finger on like what is it like what is it and it oftentimes it comes when like i'm that thought process will come to me when i'm in the middle of mixing a record you know and i'm and i'm and i'm like getting into the final stages of a project and i'm and I, sometimes i get so inside myself like i'm proud of what i do it sounds good how do i do it how do i do how how did i how did I have a hand in creating this? It's a, it's an interesting thing where like, you know, it kind of, you become unconsciously competent of like your skill and what you do. And you're like, I've made this great artistically lo-fi record that makes a great artistic statement and sounds great. How did I do that? And it not, what's the difference between what I did and somebody that's doesn't know what they're doing and made a terrible record. Like, you know, and I'm like, I don't know what I do. How do you, how do you do this? You know, it's interesting to think about. Yeah. You you bring up kind of a, a point that that is coming up in my life too, which is you have somebody that that's putting together music, that's writing music, and they're sending it to you, and you know what you're doing, and they mm-hmm. don't know necessarily how to produce a you know a good recording, mm-hmm. and it speaks to the fact that uh, we need each other, mm-hmm. and and that's something that I haven't always really understood, which is part of the reason I'm kind of good at a lot of stuff. Is because I feel like I needed to do it on my own. Mm. But it, but if you told if you told me to sit down in Pro Tools and, and put together a recording, I could do it, and it mm-hmm. wouldn't, and it would sound okay. Mm-hmm. But and then if you asked me to play the piano track on it, I could do it, and it would sound okay. Mm-hmm. And I could play the drums on it, and it would, I could do it, and it would sound okay. Um, and so there's a there's a benefit to being able to do a lot of things okay. Mm-hmm. But then there's also a limitation in that like a project that I'm just doing by myself is never going to have that power if I then if I bring in the best drummer I know mm-hmm. the best producer and the best piano player mm-hmm. I know um, that I don't have to just do it by myself but that the real magic happens in collaboration and mm-hmm. trusting someone else and and saying like alright I'm not the best at this it's just fun for me yeah. but let's come together and make something magic because I know that you're the best at that thing right yeah and what you just described there is a lot of that's kind of pretty much what a producer does. There's 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 really a couple of things of what like a producer when it really comes down to it, a producer is is basically kind of like a project manager, you know, and um a, and like a coach essentially, you know. Yeah. And um there's like there's sort of like this the the Nashville sort of like making the Nashville record. And then there's what, like in Nashville, nobody else, I don't think they really ever say this anywhere outside of Nashville, but what they would call a custom project. So like the Nashville thing would be about like, it's the economy of Nashville is where it's built around a song. You've got a whole, you've got like a whole community of songwriters here that all they do is they get together and they write these songs and they have publishing deals and their publishers have song pluggers that go out and you know pitch these songs to famous artists or A&R people that work with the artists and things like that and so then these songs end up getting matched up with artists and then the artists you know and then there's a producer that works with the artists and and that producer then goes and finds like okay 
for for what we're trying to do in this record and 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 you as an artist and what we're this you know I've got a team I'm gonna put this I'm gonna put the the session players together and then the session players go in and they record this song as a like a, a master version of the song that's gonna go be commercially released on the record and be on the radio artist sings it maybe sometimes plays maybe an instrument or something on there and that's kind of how that's made you know and that's sort of like the Nashville way of doing it and then the custom project would be more like. I call you up from Columbus and I'm like, "Hey, I got I got an album." Yes. You come up, can we record my songs and I'll play Yeah, I'll and track like maybe but you're like in a band or something. You okay, got yeah. you got a, like a you've got like a group of like you're a band, you know, the Daniel Fox band and you call me up and we want to make a record. And so that's the custom project. Then I come up with there with you guys and and so in the first scenario, if I'm the producer on that, it looks like most of most of what it looks like is I'm the project manager who hired out the right people to do the that were the best yeah and and they're pretty much there you know, maybe there's some light coaching that needs to step in here or there like it's more like kind of group minding it and going hey maybe we should try it this way yeah maybe we should and you do it right the custom project is more like i'm the coach the the songs like they don't really need to be a and r and matched up with artists because you guys have already written your music and then you're gonna play it right but i'm more of like the coach who comes in and like coaches you to like okay that's this is a cool song, or maybe you need to maybe you need to look at rewriting this section, or maybe we should tweak it like this. We should chop this out, or we should maybe you need to we need to add a a bridge here, and then just like going to rehearsals and listening to you guys play and saying like you know okay you know coaching you to get a better performance and up your performance or whatever, or saying like no that's actually great. Maybe you're feeling insecure about the way you're singing it, but it's like trust me, it's great. So it's like that, you know, and that's kind of what the custom project kind of scenario looks like so really what you were describing comes down to you know production uh, being a record producer is kind of like it's a project manager slash coach basically yeah yeah speaking of insecurity i've got another two songs that we we get to get into sure and and then the next one i believe is this an okay time to sure move to it absolutely the the next one is i tried to kind of write a jazz tune and it needs a little something in the Killer. middle, and the, and so I, I'm I'm sitting there playing it, thinking like, oh, what can I do like on the fly? And I, I ended up just leaving it as it is because mm-hmm. it's this mix of a jazz progression, but then it doesn't doesn't have a, a break in it. And you'll hear mm-hmm. it. You're going to be like, I wish there was something, you know, after these two mm-hmm. these two chords. But mm-hmm. but we've got it. We we've got it here to here yeah. To play. Let's let's listen to it. Okay. Yeah. Cool, man. <laughs> Made a skillful sailor Calm demeanor Impassioned with love And unbelievers And party leavers Regard the old God Pride and disdain, but for us masses and backwater classes, we find a new light, birth with a pain, 
Awesome, man. And what was the name of that one? <laughs> That's Smooth Seas. It's, uh, okay, so here, here's the process on that one. So I, I'm really interested in the process of writing. Mm-hmm. Rather, you know, not necessarily rather than anything, but it's uh, a couple a couple years ago when I was in college, I had a songwriting buddy that we would write back and forth with, and we would take a text and then do uh, do the melody of the text mm-hmm. and then write the chords behind it. Okay. So that's a little bit how this one came about is that I've got these uh, these uh, coasters on my piano. Okay. And I just picked it up. They're embossed leather and, and it's got a picture of a ship that says Smooth Seas Never Made a Skillful Sailor. So just the, the line is like ripped from a coaster. Okay. <laughs> cool. And, uh, and so I just... You know, I, I went out like how how would it be said? Like how would uh, how would I interpret that text in a way that sounds like the human voice is saying it? That, that like mimics the cadence of the human voice. Mm-hmm. So I'm really interested in in saying like, Smoothie's never made a skillful sailor, mm-hmm. and Smoothie's never made a skillful sailor. So it's not actually the way that it ended up, but like and then okay. so you break down like kind of the cadence that it, it's spoken in into a rhythm and then you know maybe say it a couple different ways like smooth seas never made a skillful sailor or you know kind of do a dramatic delivery Mm -hmm. of the text Mm -hmm. but then break it down into what's the rhythm of of it and then and then uh where does the your voice naturally rise and fall Mm -hmm. to to kind of so that's the jumping off point for the for the Mm -hmm. melody that i that i went through there Mm -hmm. um and then Dropped in some some jazz chords behind it and added some major sevenths mm-hmm. and chords over over different bass notes to kind of make it mm-hmm. sound nice. But but that's that's really how I was approaching the songwriting for that one, which I, yeah. I really liked. Um, there's this great thing that I, I it's it's online and I wish I wish we could get get to it or bring it up. Okay. Um, well, let me see if I can find it. Uh, it is. So uh, it's a YouTube video that I saw of Jones big ass truck rental. Okay, H- have you ever ever seen this? I don't know. Maybe. So so there's this very like folk done uh, commercial about this Jones big ass truck rental and car storage, and that's that's the okay. thing. <laughs> but these these jazz musicians jazz musicians came and they they listened to the the natural cadence of this commercial uh-huh. I and mean, it was delivered in a very folksy over the top way does that way. look like the right thing um here now, if you want to yeah 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 I'll, I'll i'll type it in and uh jones big ass <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh i'm just gonna type in jazz afterwards because there is a harmon harmonize harmon harmonizator yeah yeah okay all right, so I I got it pulled up. Okay, if you want to, I don't know if we can. Well, you know what I, what I might have to do some I, licensing. I, rights there might here. be, you know, I'm not really sure. Like I would have to consult some, uh, you know, an attorney on this. But um, what I could probably do is maybe play. How long is it? Um, I might just be able to kind of like play it into the microphone. Maybe let's just let's just see what happens with this. Yeah, yeah. Let's play it into the microphone. Obviously, there's like a there's like a uh, visual aspect of this that we won't be able to see, but but here's here's what's going. Now, is there like just so I know, is there is there any um, like swearing on this video? Do you know? I don't think so. Okay. I mean, a- asked is 
is maybe in there. Yeah. Okay. That's that'll be okay. Is that all right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Here it is. Let's turn it up. I love how they put the the, the cord. Yeah, the cords are in the upper left hand of the yeah. video. Yeah. There's a free plug for this guy. Yeah. If you guys are interested, go ahead and <laughs> go up and type him up on the internet. But I, I love this. This was a yeah. huge inspiration to me that, that, that um, you know, a, a couple of years ago, you would take a text and you would just kind of work with the work with the, work with the text, you know, uh-huh. turn the text into a melody. But these guys didn't turn the text into a melody. They just took the the natural, in, you know, inflections and vocalizations yeah. that were happening. Yeah. And and you know built out behind yeah. it. There's also a version with drums. I I don't know if that's on there, but uh, you know that's amazing to me. Yeah, that they're able yeah. to turn just this guy's colloquial yeah. folksy uh, language, impassioned yeah. language, into yeah. this jazz tune. Yeah, it's funny. It's like um, like there's a there's a pitch. You know, there's like tam- obviously timbres and pitch. And rhythms, and kind of almost in a way, sort of like enough tonal information that would suggest a key for everybody's personality, like everybody's way that they talk. You know, everybody has a, a kind of like it's like a key. You know, it's not really very obvious, but that's kind of like what they kind of were able to like figure out with this guy and and sort of like, yeah, make this funny jazz tune out of it. But. Well, you know, the first thing I thought of with that is like as we're trying to develop ourselves personally and look to mentors, like mm-hmm. what key do our mentors talk in mm-hmm. that we don't? Mm-hmm. You know, how can Interesting. We, how could we look at uh, like a Tony Robbins, for instance, if that was somebody that we were looking to uh, or Jason Silva, like I, mm-hmm. Jason Silva. Yeah. Uh, that guy's he's like his mind just you know the yeah. way he talks is yeah. so yeah. articulated yeah. yeah and like Gary Vaynerchuk you ever listen to you ever check him out like you yeah. watch his videos and the way that if you watch his videos and the way that he does his face like you know when he's like he's really making a point yeah. you know and he does his mouth like big like 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 uh very uh uh the corners of his mouth you know right. he pulls them really out or it's, uh you know something that's been covered uh, Obama's got a cadence, right? 
<laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah, you know, I mean, that, That's just, pretty good. As a, as a thing, you know, Kermit the Frog's got a, a cadence, you know, a, a tonality, right? You're so, a little bit of a voice actor there. Uh, got some yeah, voice so talent. Clearly, I'm a, I'm a B minus at that as well. <laughs> like, my life is full of B minus things. Um, but uh, but it, what an interesting way to, to, to shift into that almost as an actor and mm-hmm. see how we how we shift and we sh- how we show up in the world. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting. Yeah, gonna, I'm going to try to play with that while I'm here. Yeah, it is. That is that is an interesting thing. And I also something that uh, along those lines that I've noticed is um, the difference between the person that I am and the way that I talk and convey ideas. If if I was to turn these microphones off right now and you and, and you and I were to just like continue the conversation, mm-hmm. and we knew that like this conversation wouldn't go. Nobody else would ever hear it. The, like how I would change, how I would change, my personality would change versus if we turn the mics on, we're talking now and how I'm talking now. Now, it's like, it's still me. It's still like a permutation of me. It's still like authentic to who I am, but it's not, it's it's kind of two different permutations of the same version of me and how I communicate, you yeah. know? You can exert less uh, energy when you're talking to me because I know you and I'm not like, you know, you could be like, so. yeah. And, and if you if you are around people who know each other for a long time, I mean, or if you're with somebody that you've known for a long time, you just notice yourself being like, oh, yeah, you can't you can't yeah. talk that way on a right. in public because nobody's going to understand what you're saying, right? <laughs> and especially like considering people can't see me, there's no other there's no other cues, there's no other cues to like. But then there's the there's the aspect of it too that's part of like how you want to present yourself. There's that sort of like almost kind of like the where the ego steps in you know what i mean and like i want to be perceived a certain way you know what i mean so uh all those things i think about that kind of stuff a lot it's interesting especially as like i've started to do this podcast more and more because that was part of i think i think there's something in that um something in this conversation uh an element of it is uh part of what sort of my imposter syndrome has been as I continue to do this show. And some and it's funny how sometimes sometimes it's you know, when I first started the show, it was like, oh man, I like I'm scared. I don't want to do this. You know, I want to do it, but I also don't want to do it. You know? The the version of me, the bigger version of me that's like enrolled in this big vision that I want to create impact over a certain period of time wants to do it. But me today doesn't want to do it because I'm I'm very like uh kind of introverted about it a little unsure of it you know um and then you know as i continue to do the show and i get past that but sometimes you know some some episodes i'm like ooh, you know i don't want to i gotta psych myself out to do this i don't i don't i'm not feeling it today i'm feeling a little i'm feeling a little uh, not inconfident or whatever unconfident you know and uh and it's just funny it's like it's to 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 like think about you know um has something to do with, I don't know how our ego is involved in that and, um, kind of, uh, wrestling, like we wrestle with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, you, you bring up an interesting point about this fitting into a grander vision. And this is a little bit of a pivot from what we were talking Mm -hmm. about, but it, it also comes back to this definition of what is a creative act and what's creativity. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that, that intrigues me is the creative act being one of declaration of something that doesn't exist into existence. Mm. 
Um, so this is, this gets into a little bit of esoterica, mm-hmm. but yeah, um, <clears throat> but the act of creation fundamentally is a consciousness um, using some kind of language. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily have to be uh, written or verbalized language, mm-hmm. but some kind of language of clicks or or snaps yes. or music or uh, signals that we that we declare and create something that doesn't already exist in this temp- temporality of, of space and time. Mm. So I, I heard that, I don't know if this is a quote or, or a realization, frankly, so, mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. That, but that the universe is using us to exist in time. Yeah, that, right. That, uh, that eternity or God or whatever this thing is using us to, to create things yeah. in, in time. And we're the only, you know... You yeah. were the only people that we're living here in time and yeah. we're consciousness who can manipulate what happens mm-hmm. in this in this temporal uh plane right and so we are uh, you know we're in this very interesting and unique uh you could view it as responsibility mm-hmm. to take uh heaven or eternity or paradise and create it inside of a temporal uh, plane. Mm. I, I know that got kind of weird, but yeah. I, as a creative act, that's what I'm going to choose to do is to take mm-hmm. take these universal principles or these uh, whatever I think exists out in the unseen or outside of mm-hmm. what I can know for sure, mm-hmm. that my job as a creator is to bring those experiences into uh, into time and into space where we live and can and, and they can be seen and heard mm-hmm. and, and shared. Mm. Is that too weird? Did no, I just go man. way off the page? No, dude. No, it's great. <laughs> okay. It's great. No, because I, I uh, I'm I'm trying to think about how I can respond to that in a way that really because you know I think about that kind of stuff a lot too, and it's totally like that speaks into definitely my personality and and the kinds of things that I think about. But yeah, I, it's. Yeah, it's, it's a great observation. I'm not sure that I can necessarily add anything to what you said. That's that's, you know, you said it well. You can, know, can I drop the mic now? You can <laughs> drop the mic. Can I knock the mic stand over? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, if I if I was really present to day in and day out, if I if I woke up, and you know, one of the first things that came to mind was what part of of paradise am I going to bring into time today? Oof, what kind mm. of life would that be? That's interesting. Wow. That's that'd kind be, of a cool question. That'd be yeah. an interesting life to live. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and instead, it's on it's on a bit of autopilot. You know, there are times in the day that I understand that something needs to be created as a bridge to get somewhere that I have a goal for, or an implicit or explicit goal. You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. Um, but that I've got to, uh, but to live to live every day and every moment of my life as if like, okay, what's my what's my goal for my life? You know, mm-hmm. I want to move humans to our next state of our evolution. I want people to experience gratitude and joy all the time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, you know, I guess if that's my view of heaven, then that's what I want to bring, yeah. bring here. Yeah, and I'm yeah. using heaven really loosely. I don't necessarily have a, a sure. concept around that that's got a lot of agreement, but um, I know I use words in a weird way. So, so if I'm it's losing great. people, no, it's like, no, I don't think you're losing anybody. <clears throat> I think this has been, no, I think this is, a, we're, we're having a great conversation here that's really, uh, I don't think you're losing anybody okay. for sure. Yeah. yeah. I just, I mean, the idea of waking up and, and being able to deliberately create heaven on earth, uh, moment to moment, interaction mm-hmm. to interaction. Um, Lewis Howes in his, in his podcast, I think, oh, no, he was interviewed on Fox. I saw this on Facebook. Okay. okay. Um, he said, you know, 
somebody on a guest on his podcast made it a point to make someone's day every day. You know, to to like buy someone behind you yeah. a coffee, yeah, or hold the door for somebody, or, or like yeah. show that interest. You know, so yeah. there's that thing where our vision for how the world should be mm-hmm. slash heaven slash eternity mm-hmm. is using us to create a temporal experience around us for other consciousness and right. other people. Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, you have to have some kind of idea of what your ideal world is or what heaven mm-hmm. is, and then you've got to actually do it, you know? Right. Yeah. So how do you, so let's maybe get a little granular with something, some of that a little bit. Like how do you, because when you're talking about that, um, some of the things of what you're saying, you know, I'm hearing like kind of the word that bubbles up for me is um, uh, mindfulness, you know, just, just um, uh, uh, cause you were saying like, you know, sometimes it's on autopilot and sometimes, but you're really kind of like engaged with like what you're, your vision of what you want to create in your life, you know? And yeah. So sometimes we can be in the moment, kind of in the flow, but then other times, you know, when it's like, we're on just on what's going on, you know, when you're like, I wonder who posted on Snapchat right now. And you're like looking through, you know, people's Snapchat or you're like, you know, you are like watching the Super Bowl and like the commercial for, Burger King chicken fries comes on. Ooh, I'd like to really have some chicken fries. In those moments, you're not really, those aren't really mindful moments where you're checking in on what is it that I want to create in the world and how am I going to create, you know, affect and create impact in those people around me, you know? So we're constantly phasing in and out of these things of like just kind of, it's sort of like nothing and we're just sort of like existing to, other moments being like very intentional about like thinking about how we're going to better the world or what our vision for that is and like creating impact, you know? So how do you get into that space where, um, and this is just an open ended question. Let's just kind of like, you know, it's not like we're going to solve all the world's problems. Well, maybe we will solve the world's problems right here on this podcast in the next matter of, uh, in the next three minutes. Great. Um, how do you, what are some ways that people can kind of get into this sort of mindfulness and these things about, you know, being intentional with these, these moments of like, how did you put it? Creating the universe using us to create. Yeah. Okay. So we, we are the medium that eternity uses to paint in time. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's a good quote. Mm. We are the medium that eternity uses to paint in time. I just made that it, up. It reminds me of actually there's an Alan Watts quote about, this is not exactly right, but it's something to the effect of um, we are an aperture through which the universe looks out and experiences itself. Sure. Something like that. Yeah. 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 We're the consciousness that, uh, you know, that is able to observe Mm -hmm. the universe itself. But I I think (laughs) there's going to be a lot of people that are going to get hung up on, well, what is heaven? Nobody can know, or I have this religious view of heaven or heaven doesn't exist. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's less, it's less about heaven, even though that's where we started and more about what is your vision for how you want to change the world? Like, Mm -hmm. let's say your life is done and you've, you've had all the resources and all the time to do everything you wanted and you executed it beautifully. Mm -hmm. How does the world look at that point? and, And how is it different from what it is right now? And and just just stand in that future place mm-hmm. and lean into it a little bit, like bring it back. 
Like you're the time machine that brings that perfect world that you see back in time mm. and creates it moment by That's moment. That's an interesting way to think about it. Yeah. Um, and so how do you do that? I mean, I think it is slowing down. I think, I think it is not uh, monitoring yourself when you become a consumer of information like checking mm-hmm. Snapchat, checking Facebook, and mm-hmm. like there's there's some value in in that, mm-hmm. but it's probably limited value compared to a deliberate creative act to bring paradise into time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And beyond that, I have no yeah. clue, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> That's my best thoughts. So, what about uh, uh, like meditation, things like that? Do you do you practice? Meditation. I don't think we've talked about this. We haven't. I'm uh, I'm a baby baby when it when it comes to meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't have a regular practice, but I am I have regular reminders during the day to do meditative things. Mm-hmm. But I don't like shut everything down and do it. And that's a that's a place where I think I could actually benefit from it. But I I haven't had experience to mm-hmm. really cultivate that yet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, it's just, uh, I've noticed like with me and meditation, it's been, um, it's an interesting, it's a really interesting thing. That's like, uh, I was talking to somebody about this the other day, something like, you know, you, it's one of those things like meditation where you don't, um, you do it and you do it and you kind of don't really know. I don't know. I don't know about this. It, it just feels like kind of like nothing kind of until all of a sudden one day, after let's say you've been you've been doing it for like four weeks consistently or something, it's for some people maybe it's, it's it happens quicker than this. For me, I think it it really took probably a, a couple of months. But I can remember after being pretty consistent with it, just being you know doing going about my day, and and realizing I I had this moment where it was like a light bulb went off. Like I get it now. I get meditation. I get that meditation isn't for meditation meditation is for this moment that i'm in right now mm-hmm. i'm med- meditating is a way to kind of get is a way to kind of like take your mind sort of to the gym so to speak so that when you're out in the world and you're at the um maybe you're at the checkout line at at you know the grocery store or something and things are a little bit more you're a little bit more sharp in the moment and you kind of are you're more present in that moment and and you just kind of like your cognitive ability to just kind of like be in the moment interacting with other people or your own thoughts in a way that it's just your it's more mindful you know i've a it's i think i like to think of meditation as kind of like meta thinking like thinking about what you're thinking about and and noticing that right and so i've noticed now after after a pretty consistent for me it's been on and off like where i'd go for like three months pretty consistently and then I'd go for like three months. I'd fall off my practice, and then and yeah. luckily, um, lately for me, the last few months I've gotten back on my practice. So I've been pretty good about it, um, with the exception of today. I actually didn't meditate, but I try to do it in the morning, like first thing in the morning. You know that that seems to be a good kind of way to kind of set the day on, like uh, kind of like win the morning, so to speak. Like have my time and and if i do these three things in the morning then i've won and i've I've really started the day off on the right foot you know and one of them is to meditate but i've really noticed that uh for me it's kind of fostered this ability to just be generally more aware of my thoughts and what's going on in my head at any given time like i think that will i think that oftentimes just so much stuff goes through our head and we have so much 
thought that just kind of slips through our subconscious almost invisibly to us. And we, we have just thousands and millions. It's like this crazy monkey mind going on in our head that we don't, we're not totally aware of. And the more you meditate, the more you become aware of that. And the more you become aware of that, it just becomes kind of this powerful moment of just like, wow, I'm really kind of more in control and more mindful and more, it can be just more intentional. Even if it's for a quick one, two, three second period of your entire day, three seconds out of 24 hours. If you have this three second moment of just being a little bit more mindful in that three second moment, it's, it's profound. It's profound, man. It's a seed that can almost like be planted into time that can, that can blossom out into, into, you know, some kind of, um, I don't know, creating a meaningful event. This is getting pretty, this is me really, like I'm I'm really kind of, there's not a lot of concrete anything in what I'm saying right now other than just like I'm kind of thinking out loud and maybe articulating what kind of my experience has been of meditation. Um, and it's it hard. amazing. It's hard to articulate it. It's easier, it's, it's one of those things where you're just like, you have to just sort of experience it and go, oh, I get it. But it's hard to really verbalize and, and articulate mm. the thing. Got it. You know? No, I don't know. It's beautiful. I um I look forward to getting to that place where I have the the discipline in that and and can experience what you're talking about. Mm. Yeah, yeah, man. So what do we do now? We got one. We got one more song, and we do have one more song. And um, you know, we can um we have a little bit more time. um, We do. Okay. Or or, you said three. We had we had to solve the problems of the world in three minutes. Three minutes, and I don't know how close we got. We'll let people. How about this? You guys, um, when you leave ratings and reviews on iTunes. (laughs) You know, first give a give give a give a good and honest rating. You know, usually I plug this at the end of the show, but uh, um, I'll plug it now. Give a good and honest rating, and uh, which communicates the value of the show always. And in your review, maybe you can say a couple of things about um, how much how good we did in terms of solving all the world's problems in like <laughs> three in the like three minute little section of our. Um, or you could just podcast. troll. They could just troll, right? They could just troll us. <laughs> the, the, I'm sure the internet will. That takes care. That problem takes care of itself. It's hard. People to, don't need to be prompted yeah. for it's that. It's hard to troll on iTunes too, because no one can. Re, you can't really engage a troll yeah. in an iTunes review, right? Yeah, it's not the best venue. For I trolling. guess you can't really, but I have definitely come across some iTunes trolls before. There's actually, I there was actually I used to do iPhone apps, create iPhone apps. Um, I didn't really do that for very long, but. I was involved in a little community of people, sort of a mastermind of people that would create iPhone apps. And we would all, you know, we kind of, there was a, there was a guy, somebody, I don't know who it was, but he kind of went, he somehow got into our little community and he started trolling us and he was like going around and just giving all these, trying to like make everybody's like screw up everybody's reviews, you know, and just like he was giving them these terrible reviews and I'm not even sure if he used these apps, but so it's possible it can be it's possible anywhere anywhere that there's an internet internet website uh or whatever but i um, guess the question is is that your view of paradise and is that what you really want to create in this time in this moment of your life do you want to troll do you want to do do something is heaven just a troll fest where (laughs) like you get i mean maybe heaven for for that person is they get all of the attention that their mom never gave them maybe yeah maybe that's what's up maybe that's what's up could be right I used right. to I used to listen to Pavement, so yeah. Pavement was a huge. This, by the way, this is a non sequitur. 
this is a sequitur into the yeah. last the last song. Yeah, perfect. So, so the two songs that I played earlier were from the 30 day challenge that I did mm-hmm. in, uh, in January well, and February. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, I, w- I want to interrupt you, and I want to do. I'm glad you brought that back up because I did mean to ask you a question about that. What What was that? Was that something that you just kind of you came up with yourself, and you, um, or was it sort of a more formal? Uh, curriculum somewhere that you came across? Yeah, or? It was not formal. Okay. It was just something that uh, um, I, I had some time and, and I know that having a creative outlet during the day is something that supports my well-being. Um, mm-hmm. And being a uh, being in having own owning a business, I don't always I don't always get to produce something that has an end date that is in the foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. So writing a song and and doing a song a day gave me this like bite sized chunk of the ability to be creative and have a notable accomplishment at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So my well being like actually really goes up when I'm able to create something that has. Uh, you know, a relatively short completion cycle. Mm-hmm. So for me, this was a this was a well being uh, exercise mm-hmm. as well as a creative exercise. Um, so I like I said, I do best when I'm able to create something with that I can get done mm-hmm. in a day or a couple hours. Mm-hmm. So so that's how this served me. And then um, also just to be able to observe how uh, how I was doing, like. Was I writing bad songs? Like, what what was I observing about my own songwriting that I could tweak and move mm-hmm, around and mm-hmm, change? Mm-hmm. And we even talked about how uh, one of the things that I learned was like this: as soon as you write something with chords, you just yank them out of there. We didn't okay. get to talk about that. Yeah, but, yeah. Well, we could talk about it a little yeah. bit now. Yeah. I mean, that's that's one of the, the one of the things. Uh, you know, when I listen to Hotline Bling okay. by Drake, yeah, like, yeah. There's so little melodic information yeah. in that song, right? Um, he's got the little the little cheesy organ, um, like and then a and then a booming bass, and then his vocal. So the chord structure is just barely there, and and as soon as I started noticing it, the next one I put on was the Doobie Brothers. There's there's this man. I'm gonna. I want to get the the song right for the of what a fool believes by the Doobie Brothers. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Not something you would expect. I mean, it's it's really on the other side of the spectrum from mm-hmm. Drake. Sure. Um, but you kick that off, and there's there's similarly nobody's jamming out on chords. Like you're not hearing like strums. You're not yeah. hearing pianos jamming right. out. What you're hearing is like disparate instruments playing counter melodies. Yeah. Uh, a bass line. A really strong, like the real, you know, I'm really seeing the importance of the rhythm track of the drums, of yeah. the A melodic. There is that little sort of keyboard part, dun, 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 that little thing. It right. May, it may be like when when I listen to it, I don't. I'm actually I'm not sure if that's the song. Is it not? It you, might not be the same song. The one that I just the, the melody I sing or like the, okay dun, 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 okay. Dun, dun, dun. I'm 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 well. I'm just. The, um, when I listen to it, I don't hear anything more than uh, than two notes on the same instrument. Okay, until a point where I think there's a pad that comes in and kind of fills out the the upper end, maybe okay. during a chorus or a pre-chorus. But um, but what anyway? In this 30 days of songwriting, one of the things I realized was if I drop out my strumming or my jamming mm-hmm, out on this mm-hmm. stuff, um, bolster the bolster the rhythm track and hint at what the chord structure is with melody and counter melody just ever so slightly mm-hmm. that the bass the vocal and the drums are driving the song mm-hmm. and and 
And then I, I just came right back to Jack White, right? And this is something I'd heard about him. Her, her, he was like, there's three three parts to the song, the drums, the the vocal, and the mm-hmm. accompaniment, you know, mm-hmm. and they kind of work together. And I was mm-hmm. like, damn it, why does Jack White have to be right? Yeah. Some reason I got upset at Jack White because I, I was like, oh, his, he's, pro-, you know, I see what he was saying about mm-hmm. it. Um, and then, so on the drive down here, I was like, I gotta, I gotta break this. You know, I gotta like evolve this sense. So I put on Polyphonic Spree. <laughs> it's right like on. if there's awesome. one band yeah. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. is gonna prove me wrong, yeah. it's gonna be the band with like 60 people in it. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, they, you know, they do. They've got chords and they've got very, you know, it's very expansive, melodic and, and, uh, mm-hmm. accompaniment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it is what it is. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. But but I definitely began to see the value in this of stripping it. You know, as soon as I write something with a strum in it or a, a piano pounding, uh, it, drop it out. Yeah, and then just and then just let the let the bass carry it, let the vocal carry. Yeah, it. yeah. There's an interesting. You know, um, it's funny because because you can take you can take that right. You can take the um, the chords. You can you can write something on. Uh, maybe you just do it on the piano, you do it on a guitar or something and kind of write around the chords, kind of then build out the melody and stuff. And then you can take that. It's almost, it's, it's kind of like, um, it's almost like, uh, like what a composer would almost do because, you know, they're doing these sort of melodic movements across, um, multiple or even like a, like a chorus, you know, uh, doing sort of like melodic movements across multiple singular voices, you know? And, uh, but they're, but it's building out a chord exactly. across all of that. Right? Exactly. Like yeah. so. We, so instead of instead of playing a, a triad or a major seventh or something on the piano or guitar, where it's all happening at once, you just split you split those notes up into uh, you know a voices rec- across different a recorder yeah. or uh, you know maybe it's maybe it's something that uh, without context it seems atonal. Like mm-hmm. someone hits a hits a, a pipe. And the mm-hmm. pipe has like you know if without context it just sounds like a percussive thing, mm-hmm. but you can tune that pipe to to really to be that seventh in mm-hmm. that chord that you mm-hmm. that you need. Um, I don't know. I just I find that really interesting. Yeah. But, but yes, you split you split the uh, the the tones in the chord yeah. over different instruments. Yeah. And then even over time, um, so you can kind of place them as if they make you know yeah the the structure of the counter melody right kind of happens. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. yeah, it's a cool way to think about writing music, and it's not, it's not, it's not the kind of way that like if I, it's not just not that's not the, really the kind of way that I that I write, and it's it's an interesting way to think about it because I don't know I don't know how that seem it does if it seems very um uh what's the word like um. Intuitive, intuitive. If it seems an intuitive way to do it to you, but it doesn't seem like. Now I appreciate and I can recognize, you know, when when composers and and songwriters do that, but it's always been one of those things that I'm like, man, that that right there, like I really want to drill into that because it's not intuitive to me. How do you yeah. how do you create music that way? You well, know, and I and I think that people write with chords because that is intuitive, mm-hmm. and so so when I started to write on the piano or the guitar. Um, and then I just recorded it on my iPhone. I just you know, sat my iPhone at the at the uh, piano bench just to make sure I was capturing mm-hmm. what was getting written. Um, but then as I moved toward polishing it up, I would I would drop it out because I I don't know if you're like this, but I I can play a track and find twenty different melodies or like little things to add and track mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I find that those things really, when used wisely, more than compensate for the the chords and the strums mm-hmm. that are that are getting dropped out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, killer man. Yeah. Anyway, killer. But absolutely, it's more intuitive to write just you know just grab a C chord and G sure, chord sure. and start strumming away. Yeah. And even if you listen to to radio, you know, to Radiohead stuff, like when they're they're at the genesis of that song and their demos, it's just you know, Tom York on a guitar mm-hmm. and it sounds yeah. nothing like what ended up on kid a totally. Yeah. The, I remember watching it behind the music where it was, uh, George Clinton, I believe. And he was talking about a track. I think he did let's dance. He produced that, uh, David Bowie song and talking about the difference between what, what, when David Bowie showed up and played me this song, he had, it was just him and an acoustic guitar. And then what, ultimately ended up on the record and it's like whoa like exactly and it, it wasn't george clinton i don't think and this was in the there's a bowie special on uh on showtime that mm-hmm. i just that i just saw that mm-hmm. it's exactly he was playing that riff mm-hmm. that it was just a chord you know and he just jazzed up the chord but then it almost became percussive you know uh and then the rest of it was just filled out with with very driving rhythm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I just, yeah. it's been a beautiful thing to notice in my songwriting as, yeah. as just as a lesson from the 30 yeah. days, you know, killer man. Awesome. Well, this is, um, this has been like a fantastic episode of kind of, um, kind of just, you know, super, super casual, you know, and I like all my episodes to be as casual as possible. Um, but this one has been just particularly fun and just particularly free form. And it's been a lot of fun to just like, <laughs> Talk about a lot of great things that I I really do feel like um, just kind of chatting through all this stuff. Really, uh, it's been a really valuable experience, and and um, I think people get a lot out of it. And I really appreciate you coming on and really um, having a lot of great things to share. And really, I mean, really driving the kind of like driving the direction of the the conversation in in a large way and in really cool ways. And and uh, yeah, coming on and sharing with us like how you how you. Um, how you write and create and your thought process behind, you know, all that stuff and how it, how it kind of intertwines into life at large and, and all of that. It's really articulate thoughts around that. It's really, really cool, man. So thanks for coming and hanging out on the show and bringing some Daniel Fox to us here in Nashville. And, uh, yeah, man, hanging out. It's been it's great. Very kind. It's yeah. very kind of you to say I, I'm more than honored to be here. Awesome, yeah. man. Awesome. I'm going to do some quick promotional items that I normally do in the middle of the show and then, um, and I also want you to, if there's anywhere that you want um, people to follow up with you, or like, I don't know if you, if you even, before the show you were saying, I don't know if you have anything that you want to yeah, I, really I think, direct. Yeah, if people want to get in touch with me because they want to get in, I mean, because I said something that they either love or hate or want to know more about, uh, Daniel at com. That's my email address. Cool. Um, I'm not really interested in promoting anything or, or, uh, pushing any agenda but if if someone finds value in it i'm happy to correspond killer awesome well there you go um that's it daniel fox coming down from columbus ohio bringing some love and wisdom and and fun and music onto the show here in uh the modern recordist and uh make sure that you get subscribed and stay subscribed to the modern recordist there's two main ways to do that. One is uh, go to my website, johnstinson.com, 
and uh, put your name, your email into the email signup form, and I will make sure that you never miss an episode. The other way to do that, if you're more of an iTunes user, go to iTunes, search for The Modern Recordist on iTunes, and click that subscribe button. And while you're on iTunes, I know I said this a minute ago, but uh, make sure you just take a minute to leave a rating and review. Literally, it just takes seconds. So take a second to do that. And uh, just know that good and honest ratings and reviews communicate the value that you get out of this show to other people who would also get value out of the show. And it also helps us to continue to produce great content that you like and that you find value in and bring on great guests that can share the, the their creative vision with you. Um, so uh, make sure you leave a rating and review. And uh, lastly... Uh, if you know a friend or three who would get something out of this show, uh, drop a, a link in a text message or a tweet or an email or a Facebook post or whatever online and tell them about it and tell them how much that you're getting you're getting out of this show and turn them on to the show. And so uh, I usually do some promotional items in the middle of the show, but I'll leave you with these is um, uh my recording drums 101 resource on my website. You can go to johnstinson.com, J-O-N-S-T-I-N-S-O-N. There's no H in John, johnstinson.com. Scroll down a little bit, click on the recording drums 101 graphic. Uh, it's uh, simple tips for recording drums. Uh, very simple microphone techniques so that you don't get bogged down in the recording process and you can just keep more forward motion and documenting your songs and creating recordings of your songs. You can stay in your creative flow. So check that out. While you're on that page, drop your name and email in any of the sign-up forms on that page and I will send you more stuff on creativity, on songwriting, on recording and producing and mixing and all the kinds of conversations that we have on this podcast I'll bring you more of those, more of that stuff, and and other freebies and goodies throughout uh, throughout the months. So uh, make sure you're signed up there. Uh, great, that's it for this week, and uh, there's more for you next week. And we're gonna have uh, Daniel play us out with a final song. What's the title of this one? It's a cellophane breeze. Cellophane breeze. We're yeah. gonna end the show with cellophane breeze. And uh, in, in the meantime. Between this episode and next episode, go live your life of an extraordinary artistic visionary and create something impactful in the world. One, two, three, one. I'm rolling two for one deals off the lot. She thinks it's heavy, it's heavy, it's all that I got. The ocean it mixes with sand It's a shore When a ship hits the coast of a land It's a bore I'm rolling out on the bay tonight Honey, these cellophane breeze Done gathered my cash And I, I'm pulling out all the way with my money Caps got me down Down on the way Down on the way It's a haircut mobile It's a haircut on wheels Down on the way Down on the way It's a haircut It's a haircut 
I think that there is a hole in my shoe Gathering water so fast, this is true Winter's a fine place to sail on the ice Wet walkers make for good targets, but it's just not nice. I'm rolling out on the bay tonight, honey. This cellophane breeze done gathered my cash, and I'm pulling out all the way with my money. This industry cap's got me down. Down on the way, down on the way, it's a snare drum machine. It's a snare drum routine Down on the way Down on the way It's a snare drum It's a snare